Uh, how many years was the McDonald's curse? Uh, 27 years of trying. 27 years of frustration. Bubba Wallace Jr. has broken the McDonald's curse. Oh, and Mark Marquez won in America. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Hey gang, welcome to episode 326 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Stray Harrison. And, uh, oh boy, uh, we have a very spicy round of MotoGP to talk about over the next hour or so. Um, we'll get into that later on in the show, but it's, it's a very, it's an even more of an Americana feel than we normally have on the show this week, given we had two prolific races in America. One of them we're going to talk about very, very shortly in a minute, but, uh, first of all, let's go around the horn as usual. First up, Mr. RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. How's it going? Evening. Evening. Uh, I, um, uh, you know, we can proudly say that a NASCAR team fronted by Michael Jordan, driven by Bubba Wallace Jr., crew chief by Booty Barker, who's been in the game for 20 years uh, without ever having won a race up to this point. They've got more combined wins than the Confederate States of America. And, you know, I feel that this happening in Talladega, uh, a day after a bunch of Jack Posobiec goons chanted "fuck Joe Biden" during the Xfinity race, um, and on the day that Facebook went out for six hours, personally, I, I just think that's poetic. And I think uh, Facebook and all of its associated properties being out for six hours should also give us pause to, like, you know, think about: Hey, is it good that? Companies just like own this much technology, but that's a debate for another podcast. Bubba Wallace won a NASCAR race; it's official. Today's a good day. The Karma Bank finally got back to a positive balance after being uh, overdrawn for so long. Oh, uh, you, you will not believe, given my bookies was empty at the time of this race result happening, the noise of the "Let's effing go." That came out of me uh, when when I, when I found out officially that the race was called off. I was just like, yes! Oh, it was it was it was the happiest, joyous feeling. And uh, King, what did you say on the only social media site that was really working at the time on Twitter? Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I said. Well, I don't know what I said during the race. Uh, the next day, though. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell us what happened the day after. The day after, McDonald's decided to rebrand their Twitter account as a Bubba Wallace Stan account. Wonderful. And I replied that no sponsor in racing is ever topping this. Uh, McDonald's liked the tweet, and I replied... Nothing's stopping McDonald's liking this tweet. Uh, <laughs> even my future wedding day. <laughs> I just love this because in this hellscape of brands trying way too hard to be relatable on social media, you know what? Given the circumstances, I will say McDonald's, you have earned a one week slander exemption from trying. You could be trying way too fucking hard all you want this whole week. It's fine. Yeah, we'll allow it. 
Applebee's, you need to take note. This is what you need to do. <laughs> if, if, you, if you're going to endorse a driver, go all the way with it. All the way. <laughs> it was wonderful. You know, it was so... Yeah. It, it was. I, I love that it was so good, it basically brought out, like, the down bad in all of us, where King's just like, this is better than my wedding day! I'm yeah, just like, because, Smuddles yeah, tweeted of course. Because McDonald's, McDonald's, who, of course, wins their first race as a Cup Series primary sponsor since 1994, McDonald's are interested in drivers, not quitters. Hey, I, I, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. So, Gav, somewhere talk, the talk somewhere the blue emu admin is punching air right oh. now. I'm like, I'm, like, uh, I'm like James Worthy lighting that uh like lighting that victory cigar in the pack watch gif. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> well, um, Bubba got the dubba, and on a day that angry right wing people couldn't go on Facebook and get mad about it. Oh, the timing was perfect. Day. I think I'm right then, in saying... Yeah, go on, Cam. And then, for the world to bless me, watching the Red Sox dismantle the Yankees run by oh. run. Oh. It's baseball season. Look, um, oh. my, my team's in it, and I'm just going to say, after after Luigi wins by doing nothing my, their way into <laughs> the postseason... <laughs> Uh, I'm going to say that my beloved Atlanta baseball club, uh, anything after this point is just a bonus. But if we win the World Series, I'm, I'm going to be absolutely insufferable. Not, yeah, insufferable, that, that. Eno- not insufferable enough to, you know, uh, disregard, like, all the weird shit around the team and its culture. But, you know, uh, uh, just like the regular kind of harmless sports insufferable. Like King was when the Jets won. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know that win. That that win Tuesday night was worth ten World Series. Let's record a podcast. No, oh. <laughs> it's like the New York sports giveth, New York sports taketh away. It's 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 honestly, like, if I could have picked between one of those games to win, it would not be the Jets winning a regular season game, be the no. Yankees winning the wild card game. Goddamn. <laughs> Against the Red Sox of all teams as well. Look, King, I could mock you now, but I could walk, I could mock you now, but the Dodgers might not be in the playoffs by the end of tomorrow morning. So you know, I, I, we might be in the same camp for all we know, even though you won 106 games this season because right. sports are not fair. Um, right. yeah, anyway, yeah, you know, you know when the Rays rain down a combined 150 runs to sweep us out of the playoffs, I'll just look back to Tuesday night and think, we got him, we got him. We got him. I, 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 I do appreciate King's self-owning our Discord server by posting urinated trees roast of the Yankees and, and Garrett Cole's spider attack. I just, oh. I, King, I appreciate you. You're a good sport. <laughs> I realized something. You know, why don't racing teams just put spider attack on the tires if they need more grip? Well, that was a plot gets. point during a small portion of Days of Thunder. It was. There you go. There's, there's an idea Special for you. tires. Right, so we, we talked about it. Bubble Wallace. I think, I think I'm right in saying only the second ever African American driver to win the NASCAR race. Only the second ever, and the first to not only win the race but get the trophy after winning the race and get the check. Because when Wendell Scott won his only race in what is now the NASCAR Cup Series, they had to invent a scoring error so that people would not riot at the sight of a black man winning in Jacksonville, Florida. They didn't yeah. give him the check until after the race, and his family 
many, many years after he passed away, eventually received the trophy. Yeah, he received the tr- his family received the tr- trophy earlier this year. Yeah, yeah, yep. Uh, you oh. know they actually acknowledge this one, and uh, you know nothing's hit Alabama this hard since the Union. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time coming, nearly sixty years since since that since that day for Wendell Scott, and uh, wonderful. I, I don't I don't think there was a. There was a dry eye in the house um, oh, amongst yeah. those that were rooting for Bubba. It was a wonderful moment and uh, delighted for him. Love um, it. For him, for the entire 2311 team. In the, uh, in the first, first year of a team, team as well. First yeah. year of a team that, let's be real, um, has been kind of... Uh, it's a first year team. They're, well. they're putting all their eggs in the Gen 7 basket, and that's clear. So to already get a win on the board, yeah. good stuff. Yeah, just, this is just to close, like I think uh, Dale Jr. said it best in the broad, on, on the broadcast where uh, a team rarely ever wins one race and goes away. Once a team wins one, they start winning a lot more. Mm. Good point. Good point. Here's hoping it's the first of many for Bubba, or at least in the in the meantime, he either gets A, a custom pair of Jordans, or B, at least Michael Jordan giving him one of the fattest cigars he's got in the personal <laughs> stash. I know. He's, I, you know what? He, Bubba Wallace has earned the right. He can go to a McDonald's and get some ice cream, and they won't even yes. question it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it depends if the, if the McDonald's has got a working machine or not. That's that. That's that's They'll the fix key the machine. Yeah, I'll fix it. They'll be yeah, like, gotta, I'll fix it his own, my self. He, he's got to get his own celebrity meal. Uh, Nike's got to give him his own shoe that none of us will actually be able to enter to buy. Yep. Sneakers. It's, it's a problem. Look, it's, it's a problem. It's, it's great. Hey, look, NASCAR is featured on Motorsport 101 for reasons other than somebody behaved terribly or someone almost died. Yay! It's yeah, a plus. Let's go. And now let's talk about MotoGP. <laughs> but uh, yeah, in this episode, we'll also be talking about MotoGP's Grand Prix of the Americas. And uh, fortunately, folks, or should I say fortunately, only three things in life are certain death, taxes, and Mar Marquez winning in Texas. Uh, his seventh win at the Circuit of the Americas in dominant fashion. And uh, we'll be talking all about that. We'll be talking about a bit of a missed opportunity for Ducati. And bumps. Lots and lots of bumps. Because uh, that was the overriding theme of the weekend until a Moto3 incident happened. Now, we don't normally talk Moto3 on this show anymore for time constraints, but this was a abnormal instance with a and I can't, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, a horrific crash in Moto3 that got even more people talking about the the nature of lightweight racing in general on two wheels, because uh, this was the same weekend the Paddock paid tribute to Dean Berta Vinales, and only a couple of days later, we are talking about an airplane crash, for which thankfully everybody was able to walk away from. But, uh, yeah, uh, terrifying incident. We'll talk about that and the, the nature of Moto3 in general in the coming 45 minutes to an hour or so. Now, forgive me as well before I get into the intro basis where you can find this. I've got a bit of a cold at the moment. You may have noticed by now, given how I sound, just wanted to get that out of the way for full disclosure. Forgive me if I don't quite sound my usual 100% peppy self, but uh, we will soldier on. If you're watching on video, you probably already noticed a glass of orange juice next to me. Vitamin C, you've got to love it. Right. Places you can find us real quick. We're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. 
We're on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. And we're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. If you'd like to follow our personal handles, you can on the screen, or if you're watching, or sorry, sorry, listening, I should say, sorry. We're at Harrison 101 HD, at RJ O'Connell, at CBuckley 917, and at Ryan Eric King. We are also on Instagram at Motorsport 101 Pod on there as well. And if you really like it, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Five bucks gets you early access to all of our audio shows, 10 bucks for the video versions and the access to the supporters club in this Discord server. You can listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded. You can find all those details and much, much more on the website, motorsport101.com. Right, let's get into the GP's Grand Prix of the Americas. You know what's funny? Half the mainstream media being adamant that Mark Marquez was never going to win this one post-injury. The hyphen? Looking at you. This was a good old-fashioned red, white, and blue hashtag ultra beat him down. He only qualified third, losing his run of <clears throat> seven straight poles. But then he took the whole shot and never really looked back. He pulled out a four-and-a-half-second lead en route to a lights-to-flag victory, his seventh at the Circuit of the Americas. Fabio Quartararo celebrated his second like a win, giving him his first championship point in Misano in two weeks' time. A win or any finish ahead of Banyaya wins him the title. It's over. Engrave the trophy already. With the latter finishing third. However, we weren't without controversy over the weekend, though with Joanne Mir and Jack Miller's third bust-up of the season, with the Suzuki rider demoted a position for irresponsible riding and heavy discussion regarding Circuit of the Americas bumps, adding extra fears over safety. Riders actually campaigned for the race to be shortened, with Dorner rejecting the request. Quote from uh, Fabio, So, it's really bad. I can't imagine it. We said three years ago they need to resurface, and it's even worse. It's just acceptable to race. I don't know what to say, but it's a joke. It's not a MotoGP track for me. And those thoughts were echoed by people like Alicia Spargaro and Johan Mir himself. This track is not in good shape. It is borderline unfit for purpose for motorcycles. The questions I pose to the rest of the table here. Were you surprised to see Mark Marquez win like that? Kinda. I like. I, I must admit, like we've been, like at least in my opinion, we've been used to seeing Marquez underperform for most of the year relative to what we know he's capable of. So, to a degree, I understand why a lot of the pundits that we know and love played it down a little bit. Um, especially given he struggled over long distance. This is one of the longest races we go to all year. It's a twenty lap, forty plus minute race. Um, over a two-minute lap round here, it's it's grueling. Um, but I must admit, I underestimated just how fast Marquez was because, like, the fact that he was able to turn. Again, I should have noticed with the front row start because that was his first front row start since the arm injury. And I thought, well, hang on a minute. Well, he's only third here at Cote. He's probably not going to win then. And then he goes and does that. Yeah. So I, I probably should have just had a. I probably should have noticed a bit more, a bit more handily. Like, wait, you qualified front row. That's actually really good for Marquez at the moment. So 
Yeah, I, I probably read a bit too much into that. I mean, what, what do you reckon, fellas? Dude, this was uh, this was a whooping. Like once he once he got to the front and got that whole shot, I'm thinking unless he puts it on the floor or something breaks on that bike, he is not giving up this lead. He won by five, about he won by a little less than five seconds in the end, did he not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, his second largest margin of victory of the seven he's had at Kota. I think only any other time was a big one, wasn't he? Beat Lorenzo in 2015, and that was about six seconds. In the end, so oh, not only was it a, a a win, it was one of his most dominant wins at Kota, despite only having one and a half good arms. Yeah, I mean, I, I expected him. Full disclosure, I did expect him to win after seeing him in practice, seeing him in in qualifying. But I didn't expect that. I expected him to have to fight for it. But as soon as he got the, as soon as he got the feeling to. Stop managing the front tire. He just rode away. There was no one who could live with his speed. And uh, he kept driving that point home and turning the screw all the way to the end of the race. When that arm is not under too much load and the Honda is acceptable, he is still so much better than everyone else in the MotoGP field that it's not even close. It's refreshing to get back to the way things used to be. Nature truly is healing after the pandemic and the broken humorous. <laughs> yeah. What's healing more, uh, the global economy or his right arm? Probably his right arm. See, yeah. I, see yeah. I actually want his right, the right arm to start healing more. I could give less of a sh- I couldn't care less about the global economy. It's fine. Yeah, and that extends him to being perfect here when the bike doesn't break, which is just ridiculous. Nature is healing. I think the only other guy that's won that many times at the same track was Valentino Rossi at Mugello. And... Well, like it's Saxon Ring. Well, that and the Saxon Ring, of course. Uh, you know, <laughs> like he, 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 he has, like, bank arounds like nobody else has in this sport still. So... You know, when, when he's on it like that, he is absolutely untouchable. And that's, it surprised me just how untouchable he was in the end. Um, mm. Like, Another, Cam, I've got, um, got to ask you one real quick. Um, regarding Mir and Miller, was that a pretty clear cut that Mir got a one-place demotion for his move? Yeah, it was scruffy. <laughs> it was really scruffy. Yeah. Um, but... But, There's but, uh, a way to pull off an aggressive move, and I think Mir was over that line. Not by much, but he, I think he was. Yeah. Did, 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 did you see Miller's reaction afterwards? He, the man almost pulled like Mir's visor over to really get in his face and was like, what <laughs> do you think you're doing? It's just like... I mean, it, 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 it's strange with Mir, because sometimes he looks so perfect and under control in bike-to-bike battles, and other times he is really ham-fisted and over-aggressive. I don't know what it is. Is it that? Is it that outgoing champion's pressure? Well, he certainly has complained last year. I was going to say, he certainly complained a lot this year about Suzuki not being where he wants it to be. And this is the second race in a row where he's spiked Miller at a quarter on the final lap. And... I think that's probably why Miller was so pissed. It's the third time they've had a scrap with each other this year. It's, uh, it's been rough, to say the least. Um, but, I mean, Cam, how big a missed opportunity was it for Ducati in the grand scheme of things? Because Miller had a rough one, but I have salvaged third. I mean, what did you make of it? 
I didn't think it was much of a missed opportunity because I don't think there was much to gain here. It's kind right. of funny watching them just slingshot past anything on two wheels going down the back straight and then rot in the corners. And even Benyaya was able to manage it reasonably well, but it was stable over the bumps. But if it hit a bump the wrong way, and we'll talk about the bumps in a moment, uh, if you hit a bump the wrong way on the Ducati, it would just send you wide. And we saw that with Martin in the final laps where yeah. he had to either bail from that corner or probably put the bike on the floor. And, uh, and it led to a long lap penalty that nobody in this call liked as we were watching the highlights back. It was just like, yeah, that was a bit harsh. It was Pour a self-penalizing move. Yeah. Pour one out for yeah. Johan Zarco, who put it on the floor again. Mm. Yeah. Um, for, for the record, the rule is you have to lose a second if you cut a corner. Because Martin only lost 0.7 of a second, he was given a long lap penalty. Uh, which I yes. say, bullshit. Yeah, Gran Turismo sport players can certainly commiserate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I feel that one. I I, I think that's a little bit... I don't think that a rule such as that, written that way, gives... I don't think it gives enough context. Look, it was a self-penalizing move. He lost enough time that it left him vulnerable to Pecco and lost the position anyway before he even got the long lap penalty. It was insult to injury. I think a little bit... A little bit too harsh. Yeah, I think I think so too. Um, yeah, for me, it was a strange race for Miller in general. He blamed Michelin. He, he claimed Michelin gave him two dud tires for qualifying, then qualified in tenth, um, and then mm. they tried to be hipster by putting the hard rear tire on the back of the bike, the only front runner to do so, and then he just didn't have the pace to challenge the leaders up front. It was just a bit of an unmitigated disaster for Miller all weekend. Um, that's three races in a row. His teammates outshone him. Not the best of looks, I Jack. think Pecco was always going to hit his stride eventually, and now that he has, he is convincingly beating Jack Miller, who, let's remind the listeners, is not a slow rider. Not by any stretch of the imagination. No. It's pretty good. Yeah, but he's been dominated season. for three races in a row now. Yeah, like not been the same guys post summer break. Same for Zarco to a degree. They were both contenders in the title race um, until that point, and they've just struggled since then. Really, um, right? Let's get into the bump discussion here because uh, Ooh, there was infrastructure. Yeah, everybody's Jesus sexy Christ. favorite topic: infrastructure. Uh, let's let's let's, <laughs> let's, let's let's dim the lights. Let's let's turn on some Marvin Gaye, um, and uh, let's let let's talk infrastructure. I mean, there was a lot of discussion regarding the bumps this weekend, mm-hmm. and yeah, uh, Cam hit us with one of the quotes. Danilo Petrucci was the one who said that he they wanted to get the race reduced from its original twenty laps because they thought physically it would be really demanding. Um, Alicia Spagaro said the bikes in 2015 were much worse than now it's been six years and Marquez's time after all this time it's still two seconds slower the track is very dangerous and for me it's too dangerous to race on Sunday and this is from a guy who ended up being one of the few DNFs on the day um, he crashed himself in the middle of that race um, it the was, Aprilias uh, were crashing non-stop all weekend well, to be fair, there's only um, one Aprilia, sadly, no Maverick this weekend. Well, very understandable reasons. reasons. Yeah. Um, um, and yeah, like, 
Mir, the reigning world champion, said, it looks like every three years they must resurface, and this is something that means money. I understand it's really difficult, but some solutions we have to find because it's unsafe. Now, just how much trouble is Kota in as a facility? Because these riders were were basically threatening Resurface this track, or we're not coming back in. That hasn't happened in a goddamn while. We're on the verge of a a 2005 U.S. Grand Prix situation next year with this track um, because it's not fit for purpose with motorcycles. I mean, you watch Marquez and the way the front of the bike was slamming up and down through Sector 1. And it was the same all the way through the field. If you hit a bump wrong, you were going wide. If you hit a bump really wrong, you were going down. Yeah. And uh, they were all over the racing line. It meant that some people had to take very unconventional lines through uh, through some of the S's because you have about a tenth the contact patch of a Formula One car. It is not the same for cars. And even last year, Formula One drivers were complaining, or was it two years ago? Time is a construct invented by clock companies to sell more clocks. Um, they were complaining about the bumps in Formula One. And while cars can manage it reasonably well, I mean, shit, we still race at sabering and prototypes. Mm. Bikes are another matter, matter entirely. And more than once during the weekend, we saw someone hit a bump wrong and just go, go down at very high speed. Indeed. I mean... King, a lot of this is just the nature of Kota itself, isn't it? I mean, it's built pretty much on Swampland, isn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. like, back when they built the track, obviously, uh, you need to get certain approvals to get the track built. And part of that is, hey, uh, you needed to build your track with flood protection if it's built on a flood plane, and it was. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah, by prior seasons at Kota and the heavy rainfalls in that part of Texas that sometimes happens. Yeah, there are certain points in times where Code has been completely underwater because it's on a floodplain. Shit, we saw it during the uh, the six hours of Coda in 2014 where, you know, LMP1Hs could deal with rain just about as well as any other bespoke racing car, and they were hopeless in those conditions. Because the track yeah, just yeah. wouldn't drain out past a certain point. Yep. Yeah, saw it in Formula One a few years ago as well, where we had oh, a... 2015 was if, yeah. the, the legendary qualifying session of uh, people racing boats, little handmade boats in the pit lane. Yeah, handmade boats, big boats, you name it. Yeah, it, it's always been back and forth. Austin's always been a strange microclimate for racing. And these... It's not the first time, like, multi-discipline tracks have had this problem... We've talked about it with Silverstone before. They've had multiple issues with bikes running here. And this was before what we saw in 2019 um, with mm. the infamous cancelled race. Catalonia's had this resurfacing problem as well. Uh, I remember Carlos Sainz coming out and saying, quote, I feel bad for the MotoGP riders while uh, <laughs> driving, <laughs> driving over the bump. So he knows what it's like himself. Um, it's... I mean, I'm surprised to see the riders almost unanimously take a stand against something like this, first and foremost, but they've got to do something about it. Like, it is borderline dangerous for these bikes to be racing here with the track how it is. 
it's a safety it's a safety situation that affects everyone on a motorcycle on that track. Everyone in Moto Two, everyone in Moto Three, everyone in Moto GP. And for the perspective of Coda, like Moto GP is one of your moneymaker events. I know you don't have IndyCar anymore. You barely had it to begin with, but now you got NASCAR. It would be in your best interest, especially if you are a track that is so famously hurting for money, which, of course, we know that Texas, people in business in Texas always hurting for money for some strange reason. Coda just cannot turn a profit for whatever reason with F1, MotoGP, and NASCAR. It would be in your best interest to try and do what you can to invest what you can and make sure you don't lose one of your blue ribbon events. The yeah, problem this that is a emerges with, with with Coda though is that you've got very you've got very extreme temperatures, and that's kind of the crux of the problem. Is you have oh, well over hundred degree days, and then some parts of the year you have snow and below freezing and tornadoes, and it's just, and it's just hammering the internal structure of the track as well as the surface. Unfortunately, we can't just take Coda and push it somewhere else. So whatever solution is available to them, it's only going to be a temporary one at best just because of the nature of the ground it's built on and where it is. Yeah, they're already planning like a quick fix to like repave the section from turn two to turn ten. That's the real the, trouble. Spot. Another year, another year of deterioration, and they will not be able to race here on motorcycles. Yeah, if you want to know the last time that drivers uh, had a major strike, that was during the 1989 uh, Misano race, where I believe all but ten people decided after it started downpouring, like, "Nah, we're not going to do this." So we had the likes of Rainey, Lawson, Spencer. Schwartz, all of them just decided we're good. Doom was just like, no, nah, we're good. Pierre Francesco Keeley won that race. You, in a race you've got people, bikes. you've got people riding 500 cc leaded gasoline two strokes, saying, "Nah, I'm good." You are definitely over the limit. Yeah. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, it, it needs to be done. And I, I like Cota. Don't get me wrong, I like it as a track. Mm-hmm. I like it as a as a facility. I want it to stick around, but it needs all the help it can get, and it needs to to do right by the riders on this one. Otherwise, they're going to lose a MotoGP round. And I know Dawn are desperate for an American round on the calendar. They badly want one, and they've had stumbling blocks finding a permanent home for a, for a Grand Prix in America. You had the Sega, we've had Indianapolis the right way, depending on how you want to look at it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I mean, like Indianapolis. We know about that surface at that track and what that can do. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and ditto with Laguna, Laguna Seca has a couple really nasty bumps now that haven't been addressed that are fine in cars. Man, if you go over the corkscrew in a motorcycle and there's a bump on the apex, good luck. Yeah. Yeah. Forget it. Forget we want, it. we, well, we like Sebring because it's bumpy. It's part of the character. We wouldn't yeah. endorse this for motorcycles. No, at the end of the day, the vehicle has to match the track. And while Coda is perfectly suitable for cars still, it is no longer fit for purpose for motorcycles. And something does need to change before we see more of what we saw during this weekend. Let's get into it. Um, We got to talk about some heavy stuff. And I've decided to take on the role of moderator because... uh, I don't have near the amount of in-depth motorcycle racing experience hands-on that 
someone like Dre or Cam does. So I can't really speak to anything in confidence. So let's get into it. We mm-hmm. we're just three days after um, we had a moment silence for Dean Bertavignales, who died in a World Super Sport 300 race uh, on the Super Sports on the Superbikes ticket. Um, and then Moto3 had the first race of the weekend. Uh, there was a terrible four-bike rack at 140 miles an hour down the back straight of Kova. Dennis Anchu weaves into the path of Jeremy Alcova's bike. Alcova slides and turns his bike into a ramp that launches Andre Amino and Pedro Acosta into the air. It's a miracle that everybody involved was okay. Now... In the in the short term, we got a unprecedented two race ban for Dennis Anchu for irresponsible riding, with multiple riders, including Valentino Rossi, calling for changes into how people race in the class. We have a quote from Scott Redding, a multi year MotoGP veteran, who says, "Sometimes it's bad in superbikes, and then in every class where they're changing RPM, it makes great racing. But when you've got fifteen year old kids, and when you've got forty of them within the same bike, within a second of each other." Anything can happen at absolutely any point. Jack Miller had this to say. You know, we've had this discussion in Moto3, but even in Super Sport 300, these bikes aren't very fast, and there's so many of them, and those bikes are not light by any stretch of the imagination. For sure, it's a lot of weight, and there's so many of them on the grid that when something does unfortunately go wrong, the chance of something bad happening is for sure double or tripled. I think it's so good to have a feeder class like World Super Sport 300 or like Moto3 to help these young kids who may not get a chance Moto3 to come through that way. But there has to be a big step taken in looking at the safety and at the way these races go. And this cannot continue on. This year has been especially bad, but this cannot continue on. We can't have three young kids in the space of not even nine months losing their lives. It's atrocious. And I think I stand on behalf of everybody. And saying that I'm getting sick and tired of going to these minutes of silence for kids that were so, so young. It's just so bad. So for sure this can't get out. It cannot. No way. And that was from Jack Miller. Let's talk about the uh, punishment for Dennis Anchu. Was it I, reactive? Was it fair? I have never seen such universal support for such a heavy penalty in any series. I have never seen not a even the the most contrarian say shit just to say shit people on the internet who are part of the media motorcycle racing agree that this was perfectly suitable if not a little bit light. I his you cannot chop lock someone at top speed on a motorcycle. You shouldn't do it in a car. You sure as fuck shouldn't do it on a motorcycle. No. I mean, to answer the first part of the question, yes, this was definitely a reactive punishment. We've never seen anything like this in modern-day MotoGP. You'd have to go back a long way for a straight-up ban for irresponsible riding. It would have to be Romano Fanati's brake squeeze we saw at Masano a couple of years ago. Yeah. And he was basically told to sit out for the rest of the season. Um, beyond that, you're probably going back to the early 2000s, the days where you would, you would get disqualified for running somebody off mm-hmm. the road. Um, the culture of bike racing has definitely changed in the last 15 years in many different aspects. Like I've said it many a time, Valentino Rossi bumping off Gibbonel changed the sport forever. 
because it basically made the last lap block pass legal for all intents and purposes. So, I mean, in my opinion, having watched Moto Three for many many years, it was it was leading up to this. It was this this was coming. Yeah, and like. Think about how many years they've tried to change things like Dorden on the racing line or trying to get slipstreams in qualifying. And we went from warnings to grid drops to back of the grid starts to pit lane starts this year. We got our first disqualification for it only a couple of rounds ago. And it was for the fourth offense over the course of this season where before the stewards finally said, you know what, sit out for the weekend. Um, you know, these kids and I say kids because unfortunately a lot of them still are, um, they yeah, don't that's learn. No, that's no hyperbole. That's no exaggeration. Yeah. I mean, I remember parts of my life. I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm 24 years old. I remember parts of my life vividly before someone like Dean Vinales was born. It doesn't hit you until you see 2006 to 2021. when you're talking about them being gone and racing drivers and racing riders are paid. It is their job to go out and find the limit and straddle that limit. No place more so than motorcycle racing because they are risking their bodies. They are risking their lives. Every time they tip a motorcycle into a corner, just like you can be if you're riding your motorcycle out on the road in traffic. And if that limit is not defined and people continue to push and step over it, you get an incident like what we saw this past weekend where someone made a move that was completely over the line that he shouldn't have even had the thought in his mind of committing. But weaving was banned, but not really because yeah. we see it every race. It's a pack race. It's like if, you, if you're if you into NASCAR, Daytona and Talladega. Only these people are exposed and they're on motorcycles and if you chop lock someone on a motorcycle, you're going to cause an enormous crash where some people are risking their bodies. And we should be thanking our lucky stars that three young men did not lose their lives this past weekend in an enormous crash. What, what watched it live was one of the most horrifying incidents I've ever seen in 20 years of me watching motorsport. I thought someone's dead. I thought I just I thought yeah. I just saw someone die right there. I've never taken such a breath of relief when I saw Pedro Acosta walking away from that because he was catapulted fifty feet down the road easily. And the, the the terrifying thing is is that I've seen video footage of this race since then. Jeremy Arcoba was weaving even worse than Dennis Onshu was in that race. Like, mm-hmm. and as Cam alluded to, weaving is banned. It was effectively banned in 2018 when Mir did it in Aragon to defend the win. He was given a sixth-place grid penalty for it. We were said, weaving is not allowed, it's irresponsible riding, but it's not been enforced since then. So it frustrates me that it's taken an airplane crash to get to the point where we're finally throwing race fans at people. And, because and, that's and the that, only that way term is thrown around. You know, yeah, it's it been is. thrown around on this server because we've seen enormous crashes. This was, in no exaggeration, people flying through the air, motorcycles flying through the air crash. Yeah. Just purely optics, this is one of the worst motorcycle crashes I've seen in some time. 
Yeah, it's it was horrific. I, I think two, I think you should have been sat out for the rest of the year. I think two races, three races. You know what? Tell him to go home and think about what he's done because that was horrific. It was horrific. It was reckless. It was intentional, and it could have killed multiple people. There is no exaggeration that's coming out of my mouth regarding this incident. I think that I think that this was. Like, don't get me wrong. I think it's better late than never. But the way the sport has been going, this has been inevitable. It's been inevitable for yeah, some time. You've, you've been and able I don't to think, see it coming. Yeah, yeah. In all and I don't think classes. this. Yeah, and I don't think the sport has done enough to try and mitigate it as it's become more and more normalised to see these leading groups of 10, 15, maybe 20 riders and them weaving, going four or five wide into corners. We had we had Alcoba slow down on purpose in Catalonia to avoid being the guy at the front of the queue just earlier this year. And I thought, what the hell is he doing? Like, it could have been another hellacious accident that day. It's it, they, They've been dodging bullets like this for quite a few years now and I'm just glad that everybody was able to walk away from it because there'd be a lot more conversations probably more grim ones about the sport and this class in general if we're talking Absolutely. about another fatality in the space of a week so if, if, if the worst case scenario of that crash occurs we're talking about an all time black day for for motorsport because we could have genuinely had three people die. All three yeah. of them. Yeah. Where um, and it let's... just... Go, go ahead, RJ. Yeah. Because let's, let's think about this. Everybody that was in here was lucky to walk away from this. Jason Dupasquier didn't make it past the Magella weekend. And then a month later, we lost Hugo Milan in a CV... World, junior World Championship race in Aragon. So this is three fatalities in a span of four months that we're coming off of, and now this. And if you want to go back a little bit further, Afrida Munanar, uh, 2019 yeah. race at Malaysia, uh, 2018 Andreas Perez sports. None of none of these children made it to twenty made it to their twenty first birthday. And that's sad. And it's always, wor- and it's especially bad when you consider the age of the rider involved. So, I'm thinking, and I want to go to King on this one because I, because King, I, I know you've just been, I, I know you've been chilling here, and we appreciate you being here. Um, what would you change about lightweight racing, whether it's Moto Three, Talent Cups, World Super Sport Three Hundred? If so, what are you looking to change? Yeah, this this might seem counterintuitive, but there's there's no way to police these guys once they roll out of the garages and onto the track. The mm-hmm. bikes are just you can't tell them how to ride. It's just the bikes are yeah. way too underpowered. Like there's there's no way to actually ride away from someone in terms of outbreaking them or out accelerating them from a corner because it's all momentum based. Like the these bikes need to be more powerful. Well, that's that's like what I mentioned earlier about pack racing, and that it, it is like pack racing that we see in NASCAR at the super speedways and what they try to manufacture on the one and a half miles. Please stop NASCAR. Um, 
you reduce the power and make them make make them dependent on the car in front of them to manufacture a certain type of racing. And the talent pool is so deep. Everyone is so good at each level of motorcycle racing now because you have to be that they're all setting similar laps. And once they get into a pack, you need so much sheer lap time that you're just never going to get away from anyone else. And the difference is in pack racing in NASCAR, you're surrounded by uh, 3,400 pounds of rolling steel. Here, you're protected by a couple centimeters of leather and airbags. Yeah. And it means that if someone goes down, there's no reaction time. You can't get out of the way. And yeah. unfortunately, we don't have technology to stop someone who's on the ground getting hit by a motorcycle from paying the price. Yeah, we, we ain't got the tech, so you have someone survive that sort of impact yet. Um, I'm with King, in the sense of, mm-hmm. like, on we're all kind of enablers to this to a degree, because we love watching Moto3 races because they are so entertaining to an extent, but he's absolutely right in that you can't, like, breakaways are, are so rare in Moto3, like Romano Fanati and Misano a couple of weeks ago, or when Danny Kent was in Moto3 and we saw him do it a few times where he was able to pull out, break the toe, and then win by six or seven seconds. Those days are dead, for the most part. It all comes down to who has the best tactics and racecraft and who gets lucky on the final lap. It's, it's Valentino Rossi described it as Russian roulette, and, and unfortunately, he's probably more right than he realises. And yeah. it's, I've heard some suggestions thrown around and some of them I, I genuinely like. I saw a great piece about this from Matt Oxley where he spoke to Jürgen van der Gerberg, who, if, if, if someone might, that's a throwback for some of you. He used to race in MotoGP about 20 odd years ago. His son now is on the junior ladder and he works with his, with his son on his bike. And he said, we, we could do something right now by shortening the sixth gears on all these bikes. They all run ridiculously tall sixth gears because of the slipstream effect. You know, they, they can have a really high top speed because they can just follow the guy in front of them um, and lose nothing in terms of outright power or drive because they can just lean off the guy in front of them. And it's, it's a toe that's impossible yeah, to break. If, some- if you're pack racing, you always want that extra headroom in top gear because you're going to have to achieve lap time by being in the pack. You can't yeah. set up the bike and set up your gear ratios around sheer lap time. You have to right. set it up around tactics instead. Indeed. And it was Jürgen that said, look, we could probably do a job. We could probably have a safer sport right now by just having a mandatory sixth gear that's shorter and having these guys bounce off the red line more. That will enable, you know, more differences in braking in riding, in racecraft in general. Now, I, I've i seen some of the more nuclear options thrown out there, like reducing grid sizes. Now, that's a problem. You don't want to be taking money out of people's pockets. Um, there's, there's a reason why there's so many people taking part in these sports, because a lot of people have a lot of money invested in junior sports. Um... And even then, thing, and even then, if you reduce if you reduce the grid size, you're not solving the problem. You're just making yeah. the pack slightly smaller. Yeah, yeah. Like there's no well, point in having a thirty. Yeah, 
there's no point in having a thirty, a thirty, you know, a thirty race, a thirty bike paddock or thirty bike grid if twenty of them are going to be in a pack anyway. Like it kind of defeats the purpose. And it made me giggle when Miguel Oliveira talked about, oh, I don't think any pursuit is worth someone's life. Says man who has Rider Academy back in Portugal, um, who again he has genuine skin in the game. So that made me chuckle, unfortunately, in that sense. And you can't really reduce grid sizes; it doesn't really solve the problem. You know, you could throw out harsher punishments, but I think when the visor goes down, these guys are going to think about winning and nothing else. You know? Yeah, the, the the problem with the heart, like the time for harsher punishments, has come and gone. Yeah, because really, you need to you need to nip that in the bud. Because at that stage, the only thing that's really going to stop riders from doing these crazy moves is if we get the worst case scenario incident. And even then, they're yeah. motorcycle riders. They're a bit, they're a bit, you know, yeah. odd in the head. Uh, we we've had the worst case scenario happen multiple times already, and they're still doing it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's we- it's not really going to stop. No. And there's, for me, the ultimate nuclear option. You open up development on these bikes again. Because, like, the, the, the thing is with the thing is with this sport is, is that they've intentionally gone out of their way to have KTM and Honda and any other sister brands that are alongside them roughly have the same performance. You know, there's very marginal differences between KTM and Honda on any given day. Either one of them can win if mm-hmm. tactics and racecraft goes their way you could open up development on these bikes again, and that might separate the great teams from the not-so-great teams and open up more spaces that way so that every race is in the pack race. If you get Honda Honda Motor Company, who have uh, fuck-you money, and KTM, who also have fuck-you money, in a full-blown development war at the head of the grid, you're going to kill the class. That's That's the drawback, because... Like we are, there's a there's a very under the carpet pay rider crisis that's going on in MotoGP and Moto2 right now that's not been spoken about as much as our four wheel brethren, where we talk about two million a year for Formula Two, a million plus for Formula Three. Like I saw Simon Patterson from the Hyphen tweet about this, where it's like some Moto2 riders are paying seven hundred and fifty thousand euros for a Moto2 bike over the course of next season. Like, there's already costs going up. A lot of teams didn't make it through the pandemic last year um, when we weren't racing in MotoGP because we didn't start last season until July last year. We had to cram 14 races into a four-month schedule. This would be the worst possible time to do something like this because teams would die. I have no... There's no doubt in my mind about that. There's a very big difference between, you know, the manufacturers of MotoGP who can take that hit. Even the smaller manufacturers like Suzuki and uh, Aprilia, they can take that hit no problem. They don't have to race. Racing teams exist to race. And when it's just a racing team and the manufacturers, because they want to win, are pouring money into the bikes, that money, that cost has to go somewhere. And 10 out of 10 times... In racing, it usually comes down to the people buying the bikes. And all that's going to accomplish is taking away chances from talented riders who are just trying to make their way through their career. And that's the beauty and the curse of 
lightweight racing right now because we have more junior series than ever before. We have the Asia Talent Cup. We have the Red Bull Rookies. We have the British Talent Cup. We have World Supersport 300 that has 45 bikes in the pack. They have to have last chance qualifier races to have the main to have the main race. You know, when we've got 30 plus in Moto3, we have more junior talent and more children coming through. And I, mean, I wanted to ask you guys about this, because this is another one that's come up. Would raising the mandatory age limit help? Because we're talking 13 year olds that are getting on Moto3 bikes now. Like, because back in the 90s, guys starting late in their careers wasn't an issue. Like, Mick Doohan debuted at 24, for example. Now we're getting guys in the junior classes as young as 16. Like, being completely real with you right now, raising the minimum age, I don't know what that would actually solve. Like, all, like all the, 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 the only thing immediately that comes to mind, though, to help that, that, would, that it would only solve is, like, maybe you sleep better at night after going to the funeral. Like, it's not gonna make... Exactly. Like, it's yeah. not gonna change the style of racing at all. Yeah. What, what needs to change is the racing and the bikes, because the riders aren't gonna change. They're paid to straddle that limit. All you're gonna do by changing the minimum age limit is move the year ticker on the obituary. And at the end of the day, we're still burying a motorcycle rider. And that cannot continue. Not at this clip. Not, not under these circumstances. Yeah. I was going to say it, it. Certainly felt to me like something you would say when you're emotional about it. Because of mm. course it sucks burying these teenagers. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's, yeah. It's I remember. Horrifying. I, I'm sorry. I, I know. I, w- I knew I wasn't going to interject, but I remember uh, a young man by the name of Peter Lenz who was 13 years old when he died in a in a motorcycle race at Indianapolis back in 2010. Yeah. 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 13. And ultimately, the goal here is to stop people dying, not stop young, not stop people dying younger. Yeah. I don't want to watch us bury people regardless. And yeah. And I think, I think King's, I, I think I agree with King. Most of biggest task ahead of us, we got to separate the bikes. The easiest way to do that is to give them a little more power, take the mo- the overarching momentum factor out of the racing. Yeah, I think it's got to be more power-based junior series instead. Because, yeah, we're talking... These bikes have got 40 horsepower. 40. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you can run a milk float on that sort of power. It's it's nothing. A, che- because a Chevrolet Chevette <laughs> has more horsepower from the factory. Yeah, it's they like they they're golf carts when it comes to power in the grand scheme of things, and yet they can do 150 miles an hour at the top end. Like you need you need more power. You need to find ways to separate these bikes and what they can do. Because yeah, to wrap it up, I think riders I think riders aren't going to change. I think there's a lot of emotion that goes into these into this thought process. I don't like. You'd have to fundamentally change the infrastructure of bike racing development in multiple countries if you had a mandatory age limit that was increased. Because the unfortunate reality is that in Italy and Spain, they're putting kids on mini motos at age four. Like, mm-hmm. not you're, you're never going to stop that. In Spain, 
GP racing is now becoming a national sport. Italy is the it's, only other country that's keeping pace. Yeah. Like, Italy is the only other country that's keeping pace with them right now. The UK are way, way off this. The, we just don't have that culture for bike racing production in this country. Not on their level. Not even close. Well, and I think um, that's why it's such a, a shock to the system when some, when incidents like this happen and you see that age number. And perhaps in Italy and Spain, it's almost expected given the nature of the sport. You see it outside of there and it, it's more to, people are mortified and rightfully yeah. so. Yeah. Dean, Dean Vignanez's passing was in the Sun newspaper. Yeah, in the UK, and don't get me wrong, it's not much better than toilet paper in the context of the United Kingdom. But the comments I saw on that post from people that obviously don't know about the culture of bike racing, it was startling. And I can't blame them for being startled because the headline story of 15-year-old, 15-year-old rider dies in superbike accidents is going to draw comments from people that probably don't normally watch. And it's a shock to the if, system. Yeah, and the sad thing is, to us that are motorsport fans, it really isn't. And that's probably the saddest part of all about this. It's almost it's almost an expectation at this point. It doesn't make it any less well, it's, sad, it's that, but it's awful. It's that double-edged sword. We, we adore Moto3 for the racing product it gives us because it is the most exciting motorsport series in the world when it goes well. But when it's that other side of that coin... You can't help but wonder what the hell we're doing here. Yeah, and uh, on, on, on days like Sunday, it was uh, it was startling seeing the other side of that coin. And yeah, thank goodness that uh, Jeremy Alcoba, uh, Andrea Mino, and Pedro Acosta was able to walk away from that because uh, for a split second there, I thought they weren't. And uh, yeah, it would have been dreadful. MotoGP is back in two weeks' time. I actually got the date wrong on the on that script that I wrote it. It's actually a three-week break for MotoGP. They're back at Masano in a couple of weeks' time. So, well, it, it, as mentioned, it's the first championship point for Fabio Cordoraro, a win or any finish ahead of Bagnaia, and he will be your 2021 MotoGP champion. Who would have guessed that back in March? Because uh, we had doubts about that man going into this season, and uh, he's silenced an awful lot of them. So yeah, first championship point for Fabio. Next weekend, well, next episode, we'll be talking about Formula One in Turkey. Now, this is going to be interesting. Weather reports are up in the air. There's rumors that Hamilton might take a power unit penalty this time round. Uh, Carlos Sainz definitely is, so we'll have to wait and see how that goes. And a Any whole predictions last here, special folks? Special livery. On Ooh, yeah. Red Bulls. A white Red Bull Honda well. tribute. Yay. So, do you think Hamilton takes the penalty here? Out of curiosity, before we get out of here, real quick. Mm, I think he's going to have to at some point. It's yeah. probably the best, probably the most overtake, uh, most overtake possible track. It's up there. The yeah, yeah. He, he proved it in GP2 in 2006. That was a defining race for him. One yeah. thing. Yeah, well, the difference is uh, these cars actually fire out cannons of filthy air. Yeah, that's true. Um, Very true. Also, before we get going, um, if for some reason uh, Formula One's media paddock will let me converse with people outside at the United States Grand Prix. And I know you. 
feel free to say hi. I, I don't understand how I'm doing this, but I'll, I'll be a code, I guess. Yeah! <laughs> Woo! Alrighty, buddy. You're gonna be a coder. You're gonna be an actual journo. Like, it's, you made it, RJ. God bless you. I just, I just want to be an agent of slacker chaos the whole time. I'm not ready for this responsibility. You'll be fine. We'll figure it out when you get there. I promise. So. Forward one at Turkey next week. We'll be talking all about that one next time round. But, but before we get out of here, places you can find us one last time are on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101, Twitter at motorsport underscore 101, our personal handles at Harrison101HD, at cbuckley 917 at Ryan Eric King. And uh, get your ass back on your chair, RJ, for God's sake. Uh, there you go. It's RJ O'Connell for RJ. Our website, motorsport101.com, has got all our details. And on it, you can check, you catch some written blogs. You can catch all of our podcasts on there as well, video and audio forms. And if you really, really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon as well. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Five bucks for red access to all our audio shows. Ten for the videos. And for early access to all our shows live as they're being recorded. We'll be back with some Turkish delight next week. But until then, I've been Dre Harrison. They've been Cam Buckley, Ryan King, and RJ O'Connell. Until next time, sayonara. Later, y'all. Bye. Thanks for listening. So now the show's over. Uh, do you, any of y'all have some time to talk about our Lord and Savior of Cobbles Mud and Team Station Wagon Crashes, the Perry Roubaix? Oh, no. no. <laughs> I would have left the call if I wasn't not done uploading. <laughs> is, is there any mud here?